Welcome to the Nonprofit Voice Tech Series, a special edition of the Nonprofit Voice Podcast, hosted by Mark Becker, founding partner of Cathexis Partners and editorial advisory board member of Nonprofit Pro. In each episode of this monthly installment, Mark will have conversations with prominent nonprofit organizations and industry thought leaders to learn more about different technology offerings in the marketplace. Join us and together we will learn more about these innovative digital tools and how to navigate the rapidly evolving technology landscape. All right. Hello, everyone. Mark Becker back again, this time with Maureen, Maureen Waldioff. We have known each other for a minute. Um, you've uh, been in the industry for, we've both been in the industry for a while, and uh, it's been great um, knowing you over the years, crossing paths at conferences, uh, all our side conversations, uh, our shared clients. Um, but um let me go ahead and give you a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your past. Oh, my past. Okay, we're going right <laughs> there, aren't we, Mark? We are. <laughs> it's great to be here and to, to be speaking with you today. I always love our conversations. They're always interesting and surprising, let's say. Thank you. And yeah, we've known each other for probably 13 years or so now. We started out as competitors who were not competitive, right? Um, we did the same work. Yeah, I, I came up through nonprofit land, like many of us have, who have jumped into the dark side of consulting. Uh, worked uh, for Planned Parenthood of Connecticut for 17 years in a whole bunch of roles. The last one was e-business director, which should tell you when that was, because there was such a thing as an e-business director. I was I have a certification in e-business, you know, from nice. the 90s, early 2000s, and eventually um, sort of out, out, it was time for me to do something new. So um, a, a friend of mine was opening a new agency called Firefly Partners, and she invited me to join. We grew that team in 2008 from just three of us to a team of about 20 people, all fully remote from day one, like you, Mark, when it was weird. Very few of us figured out. We did out before it was cool, right? Remotely, yeah, we were, we were the pioneers or the explorers. <laughs> and so I was there for 10 years um, doing a lot of digital strategy, a lot of website design and development, a lot of fundraising work, peer-to-peer -peer work. And eventually uh, I got tired. <laughs> I was getting a little crabby after 10 years. And so in 2018, I jumped out um, leaving very good relationships behind me. And now I'm a solo consultant. My title, which I gave myself, is digital nonprofit digital strategist and technology coach. And what that really means is I help nonprofits make really good decisions about the technology that they use. Sometimes people think I need to move to solve all my technology problems. Not always. Sometimes people think, I can't, I'm not formally trained. And so there's no way that I could make good, efficient, sophisticated things happen inside my organization. Not true. So I do a lot of teaching. I do a lot of client work and a lot of thought leadership in our industry, just making things attainable in plain language for folks, seeing what's possible, cleaning stuff up. 
Yeah, I like it. And that's why we, I think we um, have so much in common. We, we get along so well. Um, uh, plain spoken, um, you're classier than I am. Um. <laughs> it's not hard, but anyway. <laughs> Low bar. But yeah, um, I, I definitely respect the way that you, you approach things and um, always good to work with you and, and get your insights. And you share a heck of a lot of content um, and thought leadership. Um, especially as one person. So well done. That can't be easy. It's not not easy, but it's, um, it's so important. I think there's a, there's a a real gap between what nonprofit teams or staff or leaders. um, There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of content out there and a lot of information out there. It's important to put the organization first in some of that stuff. And, you know, really, really, what's it like? You and I have seen those offices. We know it's reactive 90% of the time. It's hard to plan. Uh, Nonprofits are really scrappy. They do a lot with a little. And when where technology is concerned, and I know you've seen this too, it's so easy to spend money on the wrong things, Mm -hmm. thinking you're spending them on the right things. So that's why I like to push out these Facebook Lives that I do every week. And I need to schedule you to come back sometime over the summer. It'd be great to have you come back a second time. And why I love participating in events like your, it's a peer-to-peer world conference because people are hungry for information that rings true and feels like it's possible and realistic for them to take some action on. Yeah. Well, thanks for the plug. Um, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Like so, that yeah, I did. Um, so when we, you know, talked about coordinating this call, all mm-hmm. kinds of topics came to mind. And then I decided, well, heck, let's just, just hit record and, and see where the conversation leads because it could go down several different paths because, you know, you spend a lot of, we both spend a lot of time with both really technical folks, but also a lot of time with accidental techies, right? Mm-hmm. And folks that have to wear many hats at, at an organization, large or small, and um, are doing things, like you said, you know, going back to what you said earlier about you know, organizations get these products and is it the right product or do they just buy it because they had the budget and they're not even using, you know, 10% of what it can do. It's like using, you know, 10% of your brain kind of thing, um, except for with a larger bill uh, every month. Um, and it's, it's really a lot of possibilities out there to help organizations find the right solutions and, and maximize the use of those, right? So let's start out talking about CMSs. Um, you know, there's everything from Wix and Squarespace to WordPress, obviously, being the most popular out there still, to, you know, Joomla, Drupal, and everything else in between, right? Um, when you work with a client, um, how where do you even kind of start that conversation or do they usually bring the conversation to you as far as, Hey, we're on, you know, WordPress or we're on Wix and is this the right thing or how do those usually go up, come about? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and it, every nonprofit has a website, right? <laughs> remember when Hopefully. nonprofits just wanted blogs as websites? Do you remember that? In like yep. 2010, maybe everybody just wanted to do articles. No, we've moved away from that. I think that uh, folks come to me a couple of ways. One is they have a discrete project 
that it involves their website. Either they want to optimize it for fundraising or they're not sure who to choose. I help a lot of people find an agency to work with, you know, score proposals, make sure client references are checked, make sure everybody has the same picture in their head of what's going to happen and who's responsible for what in a project. So that can be a website, it could be a a database or a CRM or online engagement tools like fundraising tools or email marketing tools. If folks pull me in on the data side, on the true technology platform, how's information moving around, what's working, what's not working, the website is always a piece of that. I always want to look at, you know, how are you managing this? Are you storing event registration participant data in your WordPress database, please don't do that. Right. Um, so <laughs> right. we, see, we see a lot, you and I see a lot of these things that are risky and we give our clients context. So in the, in, when it comes to CMS selection, it's about what are your content needs? What's the experience that you have internally of managing a site? because somebody's got to keep it secure, somebody's got to update content, somebody's got to monitor Google Analytics in some fashion, because your website is a tool. It's like your big front door. More people see your site than will follow you on social media, or that, that then will subscribe to your e email newsletter. I think most for most nonprofits, the website gets more traffic, and it's usually not set up to move the visitors through in the way that you want to convert them, right? Those engagement pathways. So it's about the skill set inside the organization. And if you've got the budget to pay somebody to do all that stuff for you on the daily or on the weekly, or you've got it internally, or you're going to get trained to manage it. So the content management system must be a good fit for that skill level or that model of, am I gonna outsource this? Am I gonna manage it internally? That's the pivot on which the CMS is selected, I think. Do you have many clients or, or um, organizations you've talked to that are using things like you know, GoDaddy's um, CMS or Wix or Squarespace? I think small organizations you know, with mm -hmm. budgets under, $500,000 a year, the right. Squarespaces of the world, the Wixes of the world, the Weeblies, those can be set up in ways that represent the caliber of the organization accurately. <laughs> you know, start with a theme or a template, buy one for 50 bucks. There's a zillion mm -hmm. of them. Um, where, where it gets a little tricky is if the organization needs people to log in to do a thing, like you've got a staff area in there or a board or volunteer area. Often those um, more simple content management systems just don't extend to that type of functionality. Then you gotta go upstream a little bit and look at a WordPress or a Joomla or even a, a database, a CRM that has page builder capabilities right in it. And you're keeping everybody in that one space. Uh, Flip cause has that. Um, 
we know that Luminate Online has page builder and folks used to build out their whole sites in there that doesn't really happen anymore. So what I'd say to folks who are in the market for a new website and they're trying to decide, see what you have now. <laughs> do, you have, do you actually have the tool and you're just not utilizing it? And that's much simpler for training and payment and ease of use all around usually. You, you you went right into where I was where I was uh, gonna go next. So well done. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's so often. I mean, we're actually working with one of our clients right now that's going through a a, neck, a whole website redesign and, and rebrand, um, and they're trying to look at their site map and decide you know if they want a secure login area for for uh, WordPress. And we're like, well, wait, you have Net Community, and that's where all your alumni, their higher ed, you know, their 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 uh, all their alumni you know directories are and everything so you know don't make your life complicated then you'll because as soon as you have wordpress and and have any again store any kind of you know constituent data in there you're really opening yourself up you know work with um so uh, an organization that specializes in in that um granted you know they they can still be subject to a, a data security breach as as we know but at least you know they're going to be um more uh, ready to uh, deal with that and and address it moving forward, whereas everything's custom and individually done. And if you you know do a WordPress update, all of a sudden it might open up a vulnerability that you didn't even know, or you knew, add a new plugin that has a a backdoor you didn't know about. It's we definitely always say, yeah, let's take an inventory of what you have and what makes sense to use the right tool for the right job. When like the only thing you have is a hammer, <laughs> everything's <laughs> like a nail, right? So, exactly. so it's normal to think if the public is coming to this, it has to be website. And the other place, Mark, that I think you and I see a lot of confusion on the part of accidental techies, and I understand why, is where should my donation form be? Mm -hmm. Should that be embedded on my website? Should that go off to a secure donation form that's connected to my fundraising database and it's just branded and styled so it looks like my organization? Where do you come down personally, I guess, or professionally on, it's cool to send people off to the donation form that's hosted securely someplace else that looks like you, or is it better either for analytics or for the donor experience to keep people on the site? Ah, yeah, that's a great one. And again, it looks, is that looking at what tools you have, but you know, when it comes to Google analytics and creating funnels and tracking all the paths and, and, you know, uh, seeing, you know, the conversion rates and all that, you're going to be much better off normally if you keep it on your site. Um, uh, you can, you know, point to something else, um, and still be successful, but it usually takes a little more, uh, arm wrestling to get that, that source coding to stick, um, and make sure it takes the whole path to the donation. But again, it comes down to the tools, you know, something like, you know, Illuminate Online or Online Express by Blackbaud, you know, you're going to have, uh, well, Online Express you can embed, but, uh, you know, um, you know, 
but on Luminate Online, you know, you can embed it, but then you're using the APIs and you have to really do custom coding. And anytime you update it, you're, you're really, you know, we're bringing in a developer. So if you have the organizational staff to support that, great. Um, but otherwise, just have the secure page and, and, you know, handle it all in the, the source. It, it, yeah, the awful answer is it depends. Right. Yeah, what do you sadly, think? That's true. I, I, I think it does depend. And, you know, philosophically, there, there are just two things that, that should drive tech, technical decisions for nonprofits, no matter what it is. And I want to know what you think about this. The first decision is where's the safest place for it to live? Where's the place where it's most secure? We all have to pay attention to that for reals. And secondly, where's the best place for it to live where it can be maintained? And if, you, if you've got the two answers to those questions or the answers to those two questions, it helps you make decisions. It sort of boils it down to where's, where's it most secure? Who's responsible for updating it? And how much of a hassle is it gonna be? What do you, do you agree with those two questions? Do you think they, they work in most situations? Oh, totally. Yeah. And data security is obviously number one. It's like, you know, talking about safety when you do an event, right? It's always mm -hmm. the top of the list and, you know, and everybody, you kind of turns into white noise, but it, it, it is the most important. Um, and yeah, we're actually talking with, um, uh, uh, an organization right now that has their site ho currently hosted on on Amazon, um, just because that's where the the company that was doing the design, you know, chose to put it. But they have this really time sensitive campaign twice a year that they need to make sure is always up. And they had some issues last time because, um, you know, they have to. I think a certificate expired or plugin had to be updated, and it just kind of took down part of the form for you know in this really time sensitive. Uh, period. And I'm like, you know, that's why you got to be really careful about knowing where your hosting is. Cause, and that's something that agencies quite often kind of bundle in and yep. charge you for an upcharge and monthly fees for when usually it's not that expensive and you get a lot of those services, um, through, um, the, the host, uh, I mean, we, when it comes to WordPress, we always recommend, um, WP engine, you know, um, yeah, because they, they, yeah. they just do, they just do it well. Um, they're not the cheapest. Um, now having said that, I will, I will admit that, you know, our site at Cathexis partners, which is a WordPress site, we use actually DreamHost. Um, so I, I don't follow my own advice just because, um, you know, we have the guys, uh, the team, uh, to, to support it. But, save. <laughs> but we do recommend, and, you know, we actually do have one of our, our sites on, on, um, WordPress WP engine, but it, it, yeah, they just, it just works, you know, uh, their support is great. Uh, and you know, it's secure and you can get different levels of plans for the type of support you need. Um, again, not the cheapest, but you get what you pay for. Yeah. But it's not that expensive either. You know, depending right. on how big your site is, I have a dinky site, right? I probably got less than a, less than a hundred pages all told in my site. And a lot of media, a lot of downloadables and resources and stuff for people to grab. I think I pay 300 bucks a year. It's yeah, really that's reasonable. not a big deal. And knowing that there's support 
team is eager to help you and speaks plain language and is available 24 seven, can roll stuff back, can push stuff out. If you update your site or you change your template or your styles, they're there to help you. And to me, that's worth 300 bucks. Forget about the actual hosting and uptime and all that. I need a person who is not going right. to eat that I'm coming to them <laughs> with a technical question. And, and I've never gotten that vibe of impatience from that. Company. Yeah, no, they, they, they do it right. I'm a big fan. And, and that's why I think, you know, and with WordPress being free, you know, like you said, you can get a good theme with WordPress, you know, same thing with Squarespace and Wix and those, there's different theme options for less than a hundred bucks. And so you're, you're, you're kind of done with your design. Um, you just need to drop in your actual images um, and, and color schemes and, and styles and you're off and running. And, you know, if any of that sounds intimidating, it doesn't have to be, uh, but it is really sad to see that there's companies out there charging 10k or more a year for a bundled version of that which is like you said the $300 hosting a year plus a free website yeah you know maybe it's a custom theme but you know so maybe that one year um, cost that first year should be you know 10,000 uh, I mean because mm-hmm. website designs right are the worst thing to for me it's the it's it's the dirtiest conversation to have because I have to lead with what's your budget. You know, normally anything else, I can talk to them for quite a while and, you know, get to, but with websites, you can have a a great $10,000 site and you can have a really great $150,000 site. Um, And sometimes you you just need to know what they're working with and what their expectations are because that $150,000 site, you know, you're, you're still earning it still costs that much to get there but it's because it's all the all the different layouts all the different content types all the different page types you're supporting whereas the 10,000 site maybe you need a home page layout and you know one or two internal page treatments and and they're off and running so it's 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 always difficult I don't know if you've you experienced that yeah and I, I always you know It'd be great to know what people spend on their nonprofit website. This would be fascinating, actually. We could, you and I could figure something out where we could anonymously gather, you know, um, general budget ranges for design and development of a site, and then see if we can pick which one is expensive site. I think I think it'd be like the price is right, you know, for. Uh, for websites. Obviously, if you've got a Squarespace site, it's going to be more simple, right? It's going to be more straightforward. But if your average time for a visitor on a website is like two minutes, why are you spending that much money? Right. You know, it is a tool. It absolutely is. Um, And some people really like the bells and whistles, or they're doing something very sophisticated behind the scenes, like people are logging in and authenticating against their Salesforce record, or you know, there are special integrations. So those things take time and, and time is money. Um, so be sure that people are using the stuff that you're putting out there too. That's the other like piece of advice I would give folks who are thinking about a new site. New sites generally last four years, I would say. In year four, you should start thinking about and budgeting for a refresh at the very least, because 
people's expectations of what websites look like and how they work and what they can do on them are constantly changing. And you could wake up in five years from loving your beautiful site. Your needs will have changed. Your visitors' needs will have changed. And that's just how it goes. Yep. Yeah, we get we get um, leads coming to us where, you know, they've been on the same site for, you know, just making updates and, and kind of making do for mm-hmm. 10 plus years. And, you know, guess what? The first time I type in the URL, it's very obvious <laughs> that it's, it's been 10 plus years. Secure. It's probably an, an unsecure website and it does not work on a phone. And I guess that's the right. other thing I would throw in here. I can't believe we've talked for this long and haven't talked about mobile you folks who are listening, please, 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 please look at your stuff on your phones. Look at your site, look at your forms, look at your email messages on a phone. I think I I just pulled some stats together for a conference thing that I'm doing next week for fundraising stats for 2020, like what actually happened. 50% of visitors to a nonprofit's website were on a mobile device. And I think that's just going to go up. I think it jumped so much because most of us were home. And if my real computer, you know, my laptop or my desktop is still in the office, yeah, I'm doing most of my personal stuff on my own devices, which is often a tablet or a phone. So don't turn off your visitors and supporters by having something that does not reflect the caliber, again, of your organization that feels risky or annoying to fill out because people will go and they will not come back. Yep. And the first thing I always do, um, just a little pro tip, if, you, if you're not aware of this, uh, any listeners out there, if you're using Google Chrome, looking at your site, just hit F12 and it'll, it'll convert over to, you can jump between the, the you know, a phone display and even um, a tablet display and then desktop. And, you know, without having to pull out your phone and pull up a website, you can quickly just view, you know, a specific page or element and see what it looks like. And uh, quite often you'll be unhappily surprised by what you're seeing. <laughs> um, I've made a horrible discovery is what I call that moment. And for Firefox users, shift control M will do the same there thing. There you go. You pick devices um, and you can within one browser tab sort of look at how your site and your forms move or don't. Look at us, value add right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, so we yeah. talked about we talked a bit about um, some of the CMSs. What about the upper end of the scale, like you know Joomla or, or Drupal? You get you were telling me earlier about you know working on a, a project there, you know, because those are those are heavy lifts, right? You need develop. You should if you're if you're using those, it, normally you have an IT team, right, at your organization. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> no, they should, but they don't. Yeah, I think the design firm. Often, you know, design and development firm often drives heavily the choice Mm -hmm. of content management systems. Not everybody is good at every one and we all have favorites. I absolutely fall to the WordPress side. Not that I'm against the other open source systems, which are free to use. Anybody can download them and use them. It's the using them that takes the time and the money. So um, I, I think that ask your agency or your vendor, you know, you know me, (laughs) you've been maintaining my site or you designed it five years ago or whatever it is, which content management system, is this still a fit for me or should I look around? 
Drupal to me is a great, solid, powerful content management system. And again, open source, free to use. I find that it is a developer's website. You really do have super skills. You need to know HTML. You need to know web development to actually make significant changes in a tool like that, um, which is where nonprofits will live with a page template that's not working for them for five years. WordPress tends to be a little less expensive, a little less specialized. More people, I think, can do good work in it than can do good work in Drupal. And it's the upgrade process for Drupal that bugs me the most. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when they, they have versions and when a version is end of life to, or no longer supported by the Drupal people, it doesn't mean your site's gonna go away. It just means that if you run into trouble with it or stuff stops working, you're out of luck. And you might not notice that for a while. It could be, be a, an unknown problem. You have to completely redo. I mean, there are tools to do it, but you've got to move your entire site. Somebody's got to do it to the newer version. And that happens about every couple of years. It's for developers, it's great practice. You know, it's a great thing to have the right tools in the newest versions. But from a visitor perspective and from a, a nonprofit perspective, it doesn't make a lot of difference. You often can't tell other than the right. fact that you paid somebody to give you that, that update. What's your experience with Drupal? Do you guys work in it? Not much. We have we have uh, developers that you know do, um, and but yeah, we're uh, we're a WordPress shop because I, I believe you know uh, don't over engine. My my number one starting stance or anything is don't over engineer any solution, mm -hmm. um, and not that in it, you know there are cases like you said that Drupal or Joomla or, or whatever is is the right fit, but that we're probably not the the um, the agency to work with to mm -hmm. to do those. Um, we know some folks and you know can point people to those. You know we but if we have a client that's using another um, product that we're supporting and you know they have some edits to their site, yeah, we can get in there and and, and knock it out. But and quite often we we hear them you know kind of mumbling, oh you know we gotta we gotta make this update to Drupal. Uh, we just don't you know. So it's a kind of a black box for a lot of folks unless they have an IT staff mm -hmm. or a budget. You know, if you yep. have the budget to pay somebody to change your templates or add a node or a module, rock on. If you've got, want to have multiple sites within one site, Drupal might be the fit for you. If you've got large content libraries that need to be managed out, you know, within the website, within the content management system, Drupal is a great fit for you. But not everybody needs those things. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Let's let's move uh, to the CRM side of the house mm. and data and databases. You know, um, we're getting a lot more um, requests for. Hey, we've been on um, X for a while, be it Razor's Edge or Salsa or or whatever the database might be, and we're not sure if you know our constituent codes are right or you know we we just we've had some turnover or we've been doing it this way for a while, you know, can you audit it and, you know, give us some advice. Uh, we get a lot of those kind of requests um, uh, pretty frequently, which we love, you know, because we have uh, great team members that have a lot of experience and can yeah, go in and dig into those. Actually, yeah. 
um, people are starting to get serious. It's, it's a step on the path of being a data-driven organization is if you have garbage in there because it's just been unmanaged and ungoverned over time. And as people roll in and out of nonprofits like they do, Mary used to enter it like this and now Bob enters yeah. it like that and everything's in a Word document that's attached to the record. It's actually not in the system itself. Um, I'm really happy actually that people are starting to think about that as a, an area that needs some investment. Yeah, and you recently did an article um, uh, that I will put in the, the comments section mm -hmm. of, of this, this podcast, you know, Ask Marine Cleaning Up a Messy Fundraising Database. Any, any highlights from that to share? Yeah, the first step is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I like it. Once you do that, once you're like, oh, how did we actually get here? You've got to figure out a couple of things. You've got to, it always starts with communication. So you've got to gather the people together who use it and make some business rules, make some agreements about, no, really, we're going to use it like this going forward. Right before your fiscal year changes is a great time to sit down and make plans for a new or better way to make sure everybody's using the system the same way. Um, when the fiscal year flips, because even though old data is in there, you can start your fiscal year with this source code schema, for example, or this way that gifts are going to be entered that come in through Facebook and you don't know who gave. So many weird scenarios, you know, fundraising databases have to be able to accommodate. So you got to talk about it. And then you got to come up with some documentation for people to follow. You don't have to write it all out, but when you make agreements, this is how we're gonna enter a soft credit. Record yourself doing it and then share that around with people. And then the final thing is monitoring. Somebody's gotta make sure it's still being entered the way you agreed it was gonna be entered. Change is hard for people. So some gentle monitoring and individual support, not calling Mark out in a meeting. Hey, Mark, <laughs> I noticed you're still entering the source codes the old way. When are you gonna get with the program? Private, private and, and supportive. People wanna do a good job. Um, and that will get you to trust your data. Sometimes, the, uh, I got a comment actually on that column yesterday that was, hey, We've got problems, you know, the root of our problems are um, lack of consistency in data entry and naming conventions. So th mm. this person knows how the gunk is getting generated. And I think that's also sometimes helpful to do a little forensics on what's bad in there. And then how do we prevent it from getting bad once we clean it up? She also asked about where do I find an agency, which I was thrilled with because it's a perfect thing to outsource. Perfect thing to outsource. People have tools and skills that you don't have to actually pull your data out, merge them dupes, archive those folks, maybe run in a national change of address on your data or email uh, updaters, um, deceased records, you can flag those and just get a new kind of Delta where things are pretty tidy. It's never gonna be perfect, 
but whatever the things that are that are on fire, you can find someone who has seen it before and can give you some guidance around best practices and do the cleanup for you. You guys do that, Yeah. What's that? You do that, do you? Yeah, exactly, we do. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a simple person. Um, <laughs> I, I like to break things down simply for my simple mind to, to understand. And most things I can break down to kind of crawl, walk, run. And that's mm-hmm. the approach I try to take with, with everybody. And maybe when we engage with them, they're already at the run state. Awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, and probably quite often they're at the crawl or the, or the walk stages. And so, yeah, you I agree, you know, database all starts with, you know, garbage in, garbage out, and any other, you know, one of these catchphrases, you know, um, that you, you want to throw at it, but you, you gotta, uh, what, regardless of what platform you have, it doesn't matter, because if you don't have good processes, good, well-documented standard operating procedures, um, and then someone maintaining it, like you said, and, and um, you need to have someone that's your, your SME, your subject matter expert, yeah. and owns that, you know, and, and takes, you know, is not the person to blame, but the person to help everybody do it right you know um and once you have those basics down and you're you're churning along then you can look at other things like you know data enrichment um uh tools and wealth screening and all of those in fact i'm going to talk to the the boodle ai guys um next month uh, on this topic so it kind of leads into that you know if you don't have a strong foundation of good clean data that you can trust the last thing you want to do is you know uh, get extra services on top of that to do well screening or, or data enrichment of any kind, right? Um, get to know your your donors, get to know your constituent kind of campaigns, um, however you want to do that. Um, but that's kind of the next level. Have you, uh, have you gotten into any of that kind of AI uh, and data uh, analytics and data enrichment discussions with, with folks? A little bit, you know, the ones that you mentioned, especially well screening integrations, right? Making sure the data flows in the way you expect it to. Um, as frequently as you need it to show up for your existing supporters and prospects. The other thing that I'm seeing a lot of, and I bet you are too, is people take, if let's say their data is pretty clean, whatever, let's imagine, imagine the nirvana that somebody's got a pretty clean nonprofit database. People everywhere are pulling data out into spreadsheets and then using the data to do their business or their reporting or their jobs. I'm working right now with a a super smart, lovely team who uses a very well-known fundraising database, very well-known enterprise level fundraising database. And when I tell you the number of hours that these smart people are spending for eight years, (laughs) pulling data out, copy paste, copy paste, getting things into the right columns, a thousand tabs on the spreadsheets, pivot tables running. And this database is literally like, it might as well be a Google sheet at this point because it's not used to actually do that analysis, do that work. It was simpler for people at this organization and many to pull it out in a system that they're comfortable with, whether it's a spreadsheet or access. I see that still being- I still see access, right? It's hard to believe. So so how do we, I mean, I would love for that to be like a thing that we in the industry try to stop. You know, 
do you see that? And what do you think the root causes of that might be? Or how can we get people to do more in their database instead of pulling it out and living in spreadsheets? Yeah, I mean, that's that's it, right? It's it's all about training. And because more than likely, their database is, well, you, yeah, you got to definitely, un, you know, peel that onion because e- either it's a training issue and they just don't know they could do it and they're not comfortable um, with it or they have the wrong platform. You know, they've simply outgrown the tool that they've had. You know, maybe, maybe they're a, a, a small, they originally, you know, 20, 10 years ago, whatever, were a small organization, you know, on something like um, e-tapestry and, um, you know, that was perfect for them at the time. Um, but they've grown and they they realize, you know, that they're, they're doing a lot more outside of it. And that's not a bash on e-tapestry. That's just an example. Um, you know, maybe it's time to them up to upgrade to something else, you know, either in the Blackbot stack or elsewhere in the world. Um, there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of great options out there now. Um, but I will say, I, I do love me a good pivot table. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of pivot tables. But yeah, you, you don't want to turn it into you're spending so much time getting clever and, and manipulating your data outside your database. And then what are you doing with it? You know, Why are there not dashboards available in your CRM or your database to, to get you the information you need without having to manipulate it somewhere else? And then then, you know, think about the security risks of that, um, of that data sitting out there uh, on people's, you know, desktops or laptops at, at home or wherever they might be. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people almost recreate their own fundraising system in spreadsheets, their own grants management system in spreadsheets, their own member management system in spreadsheets. I mean, people should productize that if they've, if they've actually got a set of spreadsheets, write up some instructions and try to try to market that to other nonprofits who aren't doing things in a database. But that's how you get return on investment, right? I mean, this particular organization is spending big bucks every year on this tool and they're using about a nickel's worth of it, maybe right. 50 cents, 50 cents. And I, I think about cell phones, right? Smartphones. I got a, I got an iPhone. It's not old. I use probably 12 apps on it, but those are the right 12 apps for me. And I'm not losing sleep because I paid 400 bucks for it. And I'm using a dollar's worth of it. I, they're the right dollar's worth. Right. You know, I see all the time people spending really significant amounts of money on their tech databases and otherwise, and they're not using them in a way that gets a return on investment. So it's easy to get crabby at budget time when you're like, we're paying $35,000, whatever it is, even $8,000 a year. And, and I'm not, I'm only using 1% of it. Look, you got to look in the mirror a little bit and say, all right, what can I do? It's not the vendor's problem at that point because you've got it, you could be using more of it, you just aren't. And so either not stop crabbing about it and go, hey, it's 8K a year and I'm cool with that. Or "Mm, I gotta invest some time and energy into using more of the functionality. So I feel better when I make those payments every year. Do you have to kind of to that end, you know, do you have any advice or, or uh, suggestions uh, for organizations that when they, because uh, I hear, you know, um, regularly enough, you know, hey, and you probably have too, hey, I spend all this money for X 
software or X platform, um, you know, why, why should I spend even more money in getting a consultant or hiring somebody to, 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 to use it properly? Um, I, I think that answers itself. So I worded it poorly, but <laughs> <laughs> you totally stole the answer away from you, Mark. No, it's, it's because you're not, it, it's not a moral failing to say, right. I need somebody to come and, you know, plant a tree, let's say. I bought the tree. I tried to dig the hole. I got tuckered out. I don't have the right equipment. I got a little shovel. And plus, I've got 800 other things I need to do in my yard. So it's about capacity. It's about efficiency. And it's really about finding someone who cares about your success as much as you do, who is going to shoot you straight and is gonna give you pros and cons and some context to make some decisions about whether you go left or right. You know, I say this all the time. If you, if you use the analogy, I've got a dining room table and I hate it, don't buy a new house. You're gonna take that crappy dining room table into your beautiful new house and you're gonna be even more annoyed with it. So in figure out what the root cause of your annoyance is, or what are the things that every year we swear we're going to do, we're going to grow our sustainers, or we're going to, you know, do something peer-to-peer wise, or we're going to start building out dashboards in our CRM. And if it's on your list for like a couple years, you know, you need it. It's not a flash in the pan. Um, budget that in, budget it in. Um, interview people, find a good fit for your culture, and you'll feel very unburdened. I mean, I hire consultants to help me with marketing stuff or eBooks that I'm working on or things like that. And I know you do too. You you hire somebody to help you with this podcast, don't you? Um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of people that make me try to look better than I can do on my own, and <laughs> I thank them every day uh, for for all they can do because that's that's definitely a full time job. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think you you're really on to it there, you know, because people quite often think about their their technology budget and it's it, you know they focus on um, just what that costs the the platform mm-hmm. itself and things like wordpress and salesforce to some extent and other options are are you know free right mm-hmm. but they're free like a puppy you know and that old saying uh, you, you know you have to you have to do a lot of care to make sure it works right. So, and, and even you know, the free ones are the ones you pay, you know, hundred thousand plus or a million mm-hmm. a year, depending on the size of your organization. Um, you know, there's going to need more people to support them. And it's, uh, yes, quite often they're intended to be things that are supposed to make the average person be able to do their daily work without having a technical expertise, but you still need those technical folks as well, either internally on your staff or a go-to because, um, you know, you're going to find things that you're either going to work around or bash your head against the wall looking at help files and, and training videos for when, if you asked, you know, a good question, um, you know, you get a solid answer and, and move on with your other issues so much quicker. It is. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. So when you are budgeting for your tech, whether it's new tech or you're, you're not moving and you are just carrying that cost of the platform forward, 
do yourself a little favor and toss in uh, some money for training, real, real training, and some money for additional development. It doesn't have to be a lot. You could save 5,000 bucks for both of those things. And at least mm -hmm. it gives you something to pull from when you need it. So plan on it. It's normal to need to invest in your technology and your people because people use technology. So you can polish up that tech, whatever it is, to whatever degree you want to. But if your team isn't trained and supported to use it properly, it's a bad investment. So think about your people. I like it. Well, I could definitely talk to you about this stuff forever. And quite often <laughs> we, we do. Um, so, but any, any final thoughts for today? Um, I want people to know that it's possible to solve their technology problems. You don't have to live with them. You just need to use the right approach. And I guess I'll do one pitch for you, Mark, which is um, I do this course for TechSoup. I actually do several of them. Uh, finding a, the right fundraising system sold out last year. It's a limited group. I think we only allow 50 students in. We've just opened enrollment for this year's new and improved version. It's six weeks of live training from me and a ton of resources and all kinds of advice that I use to work with my clients directly. So uh, maybe we could pop the link to that course in the comments. I like it. I'm glad you brought that up because I noticed that too. And I think it was on LinkedIn, you had mentioned that. Um, so what a great resource. Um, so well done. And thank you so much for your time today. Um, and thank you everybody for, for joining us today. Have a good one. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Nonprofit Voice. You can listen to more episodes of The Nonprofit Voice at nonprofitpro.com slash podcast slash the hyphen nonprofit hyphen voice. And remember, for your convenience, you can stream any and all episodes of The Nonprofit Voice on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify.